All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you all uh, this Sabbath morning. Um, I got to say, being here, it's just a little bit reminiscent of my vacation. I just got back about two weeks ago from a trip to the States, and that was fun. And uh, went to church in New York, which is just weird. I don't know. Just don't imagine church in New York. But it was it was fun. So being here is just sort of reminding me of that experience. Um, as Jinha said, uh, way back, uh, we were kind of a part of the small groups that eventually got this thing going. And uh, I often like to think about what you guys are up to. I think uh, it's just a great place to have a church and to be trying things. Incidentally, the guy who uh, lends this facility goes to my church. So we talk about you guys just so if your ears are ever itching, uh, that's why. Um, anyway, um, th- Ben, thank you for that story. Uh, that was wonderful. Uh, I will be talking yeah, today about Zacchaeus. Um, but before I get there, I just want to share uh, a little story, but I'll also have a word of prayer if that's okay. So let's just bow our heads. Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to say thank you for the Sabbath. Thank you for uh, the Melbourne City Church, which is making an impact in people's lives. I want to say thank you for the leadership and the people who are involved week after week to to provide this uh, community or keep it together. Uh, Right now, I just want to invite that you would uh, speak through me and that uh, you'd be present here in the room, uh, knocking on the door of all of our hearts inviting us to change and to consider how we can more closely follow you. This is my prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, so I thought I'd start with a little story, just a little bit a bit my, about myself. Um, I grew up in the church, so I've uh, been going to church my whole life. And some of you are, are new on your faith journey. Others are like, like myself. You've been, you've been born and raised. But Unlike most of you, I had the grand privilege, and this is a grand privilege, I got to go to church twice a week. And see, everyone's looking really excited about that. Uh, I got to go to church twice a week growing up. My mum, who's here, um, was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and my father was Roman Catholic. And um, uh, if you're wondering where I'm from, nationality speaking, I'm from a tiny little country called the Seychelles. Very tropical, very warm, very beautiful uh, many of you have probably not heard of it. It's where Will and Kate had their honeymoon. Very nice place. That's how I sell it these days, because everyone knows Will and Kate. But um, they're on the Seychelles Island. It's a very strong Roman Catholic country uh, from the French influence. And so um, in my homeland, uh, growing up, well, I actually was born and I came to Australia, but in times gone by... Uh, Faith and culture were interwoven together. And as I've looked into Australian history, it seems there was a time where there was a little bit the same. Um, but because Seychelles was such a strong Catholic country, uh, they were, the culture was very much intertwined. And if you weren't Catholic, you sort of weren't a part of the mainstream culture. And so um, that was a, had always been a bit of a point of difference in my parents' relationship. So much so that when I was born, my grandparents mailed to the Seychelles from Australia three christening gowns. Three, you ask why, because I'm a triplet. There's a little random fact about myself, um, but I'm a triplet. And so they sent three christening gowns. And it was always a point of tension. And now you can see I'm a, I, I sound Australian, I think. Apparently Americans don't think I sound Australian, um, but I'm not sure what an Australian sounds like. Anyway, so... Uh, 
Yeah, growing up, we, we uh, come to Australia. We, we, my parents, they plant their roots here. I've been here for about 30 years now. And um, we, we, we do life with my, my dad's family. Great people. Um, but as I said, very strong cultural Catholic background. And as time goes on, uh, there's sort of this battle in my life of where, where, what are the kids going to do, faith speaking? And, and my parents were like, well, they're going to have to make their own decision. And so I'm going to church on a Saturday morning and I'm going to church on a Sunday morning. And uh, all my friends were just jealous of me. Uh, no, <laughs> that wasn't true. But I was going to church uh, twice a week, every weekend forming my own faith, developing my own opinions about God, growing in my understanding, observing how things were done in one faith group as opposed to another faith group. And I guess I got to a point where I made a decision at a very early age that uh, the faith of my mother made most sense to me. And so I was going to pursue that. Um, Now, this was just before I hit my early teen years. Now, the thing is, when you, as many of you know, when you get to your teenage years, that's an interesting time because you're going through many life changes physiologically, socially. Um, You're also trying to discover a little bit more about who you were. I made a transition from a co-ed public school uh, in in Dandenong North to a Catholic boys' school in the suburb of Mulgrave, Mazenod College. If Galen was here, I'd give him a shout out because he went there. Um, but it was a, that's where I ended up going. And that really started to shape once again, who is Ryan? And in that time, as I finished year 12, I found my parents, their, their, their relationship wasn't as strong as it once had been. And they, they eventually, the, the, the breakdown of their marriage occurred. And through all of this, I'm just wondering, who is Ryan? Where does he fit? Where does he belong? I've got a group of friends who are very different to my church friends. I've got a family who's wanting to me to me. They're wanting me to be one thing. But on the other hand, I'm kind of choosing this other path. And I just didn't know where I belonged. Where do I fit in? Who do I want to be? Do I really want to continue on with this faith that my mother has taught me that I've been raised to believe in? And so finding myself in the world and where I belong was quite hard. I would have considered myself a, a, a Christian, and, um, but at the same time, I also wasn't quite enjoying my church experience through those years. Uh, for me, my church experience very much involved me going to church with my mom, participating, you know, which was sitting down to a large extent. And I really like this way that Roy and Jinha do church here because we can discuss a little. But, you know, I'd go listen to the sermon. And when that was done, my mom's a social butterfly, like Harry, as you can see. And um, uh, my mum would talk. She was like often one of the last people to leave the church. The Bradys are like, I, I know what that's like. Um, I, was that what that nod was? Okay, yeah. So my mum was often the last person. We were one of the last cars in the car park. And I just, I just, Sabbath grew to be a big drudge for me. And so church would finish. I would duck out of church with my sisters and we'd just sit in the car, just waiting to go. And so I wasn't engaged and I, rest- I just didn't really know Where do I fit and where do I belong? Suffice to say, through those teenage years, I also was experimenting with some things perhaps that I shouldn't have. And that made me feel all the more, do I belong? You know, I I am making some decisions that are putting me on the outside of the community that I'm choosing to belong to. So this brings me to my friend, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. I get told I say his name incorrectly. 
Zacchaeus. I'm going to try and say it correctly. Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus is an interesting guy. And his story, let me turn this on. His story, there we go, vibrations. His story can be found in Luke chapter 19. And so we're going to read through Zacchaeus' story. But I find myself at that point in my life being very similar to Zacchaeus. He's a guy who is a part of the Jewish faith. But does he quite belong with the Jewish people or does he belong to the Romans? We're going to have a read of his story. And so I love these Bibles. I use these at school. So turn with me in your Bibles and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and his story begins in verse 1 and ends in verse 10. So we're going to read the story of Zacchaeus. So that's page 843 if you're using the New Living Translation. So it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be at your guest. Sorry, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So there you have it. So if you were like me and you grew up in church, this is a story that you'd be very familiar with. It's very unique. It's about a short man who, who, who's got a very interesting story. And if you're, if you're new to church, um, Zacchaeus is somebody that we often, if you've been in the church community for a long time, we often, we often push him to the side. And we say, this is a little children's story. And I don't know about you, but there are sort of stories in the Bible that we like to put in the children's section and the grown-up section. Do you know what I'm talking about? So, for instance, David and Goliath, the story about a young boy killing a giant, we often put in the children box. Uh, maybe Noah's Ark, we will put that story in the children's box. Um, God gives Moses instructions to set up the tabernacle. Hmm. Grown-up box. And so we often confined stories and perhaps we we miss out on the opportunity to learn some rich truths that God is wanting to impart through these lessons. And so Zacchaeus is often a story that we've put into the kids box and I want to take it out of the kid box. So I'm trying to find where I put my click up. There it is. I want to take it out of the kids box and bring it and make it relevant for us here today. So what I want to do with you is actually analyze who is this person Zacchaeus. Well, there are a few things we see about him that are really important. And they're on the screen for you. 
Number one, we see he's a tax collector. Number two, we see he's the chief uh, tax collector slash he's rich. He's wealthy. And number three, we also see that he has a negative relationship with the crowd. The people at large don't seem to view him favorably. And all of these things are very important when it comes to understanding what it means to pursue Jesus. Because I think Luke, the author of this book, the author of this story about Jesus, wants us to know what does it mean to follow Jesus. We need a little bit of context, though, before we go further. All right, here we go. Some context. Jesus, at this point of time in the story of Luke, as Luke's telling the story of Jesus, Luke wants you to know that Jesus has been doing ministry, he's been healing, he's been preaching. But the Bible makes it clear in Luke that there comes a time where Jesus recognizes, I need to start making my way towards Jerusalem because something significant is going to happen when I get there. And, and for all of us, we know that that significant event is, is his death. Things are leading towards Jesus' inevitable death. But there is a timing. And so Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem. And as we, uh, we pick up our story, we find that Jesus is at the very last town before he gets to the capital, Jerusalem. And that town is Jericho. Jericho is a big city, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of business and trade comes in and out of this city, very cosmopolitan, there are Romans, there are Jews, it's a big mixed kind of a town. And as Jesus makes his way to Jericho, he makes a point of visiting this guy, Zacchaeus. Now as I looked into this story, I didn't realize this, but Zacchaeus is the last person that Luke will specifically mention that Jesus has an interaction with, by name. There are, there are other people throughout the Gospels that are mentioned, but Zacchaeus is the very last person that Luke will mention uh, by name. And so he's somebody that, that I feel like we need to pay close attention to. Now, this becomes all the more relevant when you see that, you know, I one of the reasons why I love the Bible is because when you actually start to do a little bit of a, a deeper investigation, you see that the guys who wrote this book, they were thinking on another level. And I want you to see this this morning as we examine the story of Zacchaeus in relation to Luke chapter 18. You see, Luke is going to try and build up Zacchaeus to be the ultimate sinner that needs Jesus. And he uses several literary tools to demonstrate this fact. So we're going to go backwards and forwards between Luke 18 and Luke 19 where we find the story of Zacchaeus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to compare each of those qualities that Zacchaeus had. Let me just go back. Um, we're going to examine all of these qualities and see what Luke is trying to tell us about ourselves through all of these qualities that Zacchaeus has. So the first thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at the fact that Zacchaeus, number one, is a tax collector. This is a, the presentation is a little bit different on my laptop because uh, it's on Keynote. I'm a bit of an Apple fan. Um, I'm making a transition. I've got an Android, guys, so forgive me. Um, but let's have a look. The first thing I want to share with you is, guys, is that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Now, a tax collector, uh, if, you, if you're not aware, a tax collector was a person 
who on behalf of the Roman Empire would collect money uh, in order to fund the operations of the Roman Empire. Now, you need to, to recognize, friends, that as a Jew, giving your money to Romans is not something you're, you're going to look forward to. Let's be honest. As an Australian, giving my money to the government is something I don't look forward to. But the reality is tax collectors were... They, they, they lived a little bit outside of the law. Let's put it that way. Um, you see, tax collectors today, uh, well, we pay our taxes through various means, and it's very regulated. But to be a tax collector in Jesus' time, uh, you know, you would charge one coin, let's just say hypothetically, um, in taxes. That was the tax they Rome required. Um, but as a tax collector, you too need to make a living. And so what you would often do is you would actually charge extra. And the government, the Romans were like, hey, you can do whatever you want. Just so long as we get our coin, so long as we get what we want, shoot for the stars. And so tax collectors became known as this group of people who are on the same level with prostitutes and beggars because the Jewish nation had seen them as sellouts. So Luke wants you to know that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He is a sellout. Now, I said we're going to compare stories Uh, the the story of Zacchaeus, to things that we see in Luke chapter 18. And in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about a tax collector. And I've got to put uh, some of what takes place up on the screen. We have a story about a tax collector and a Pharisee, and they've come to the temple to pray. And it's very interesting to look at the prayers of these two men. Here's what the Pharisee says when he's praying in the temple. God... I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. God, I thank you. Sorry, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So here's the prayer of this this Pharisee, this religious man. We could call him a pastor. Let's Let's do that. He's this religious man. He works for the church. He does good things. And if you actually uh, unpack some of the things he says, I'm just going to go back a slide. There are seven qualities that he, that he outlines in his prayer that make him better than everybody else. Seven things. And if you don't know, seven is a significant number in the Bible. It's a number that symbolizes wholeness, completeness. And so he says, I think we've got a clicker here. So he says, look, I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. We go to the next slide. Whoops. Um, uh, I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. He lists seven ways in which he's better. Four ways in which he's not like everybody else. And then he gives another two and how he's so much better. And then he, he specifically outlines this man who's next to him who is also praying. Now I share this story, A, because Luke, I think, wants us to draw a connection But it's interesting to see what our tax collector friend prays himself. This is what he prays. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, I'm not sure if that comes through in the New Living Translation. But when you pass the Greek, when you break it down, this tax collector in his prayer, he says, God, I am all of those things that this Pharisee has described. I am, uh, I am like, you know, I am bad. I rob people. I do evil things. I have used my wealth to, to commit adultery and, and other things. Um, 
I don't fast. I don't give any of my money. I am the person that was described in this prayer. And so Luke wants to paint to you what it means to be a, a tax collector. Luke perhaps is trying to suggest to us, you know what, guys, these guys know that they've made some bad choices. These guys are well aware that they have chosen a path in life that is contrary to where God would have them be. So we see that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, just like the man in Jesus's parable. And so what does this teach us? Uh, Next slide. Well, we've got this element. We have a tax collector and we see that Zacchaeus feels excluded. Why? From the community, that is, because of his reputation, because of who he is. Zacchaeus finds himself outside from God's community because of the things he has done. What is this exclusion based on? Well, sometimes, I don't know, in your own life, but myself, when I was this young teenage boy and I, I knew some of the things I was doing that I shouldn't do, I chose not to be involved in my community as much as I could have been. I, 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 I kind of knew what I was doing and I felt bad. I felt guilty. And I'm like, well, I can't be participating in church if I'm doing all of these things. This is no place for me. And so on one hand, I choose to exclude myself for all of the things in secret I'm doing. But Zacchaeus' situation is a little different because he's very publicly a sinner. And so as such, he's not only probably going to exclude himself from God's community, but others as well are probably going to exclude him. And so it's a very interesting scenario. I remember um, uh, a few years ago, I was watching a sermon um, from a big church in America. And... um, This church wasn't an Adventist church, but they were doing some pretty interesting things, some interesting ministries. And one of the issues that they had in their church was an issue with pornography. And I dare say many of our churches have this issue today. And what I found interesting in the way they chose to deal with this problem, uh, the pastors of this church had actually been ministering to porn actors, uh, adult filmmakers, if you're not aware what pornography is. They had experienced a great deal of success in their ministry, so much so that they were able to draw, pull many of these women outside, uh, uh, well, pull them out of this 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 world, and sort of in, get them on a path where they've encountered Jesus. And I found it really interesting because as I'm watching this sermon, this pastor and his wife decide that they are going to interview one of these women on the stage about her life, about her choices about the decision she made. And I'm watching this at home, uh, and I'm just, I'm just sitting in my seat, and I'm like, I am feeling for this woman. And I'm imagining the level of courage it must have taken for her to put herself into this situation, where she is coming clean about who she is and what she's done. And she is open to all of the, of the, 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 the views and the opinions of the people in the church. She could have chosen not to to, to get involved and and talk about this this horrible aspect of life, but she chose to put herself out there. She chose to step out of the things that she could have excluded herself. She could have limited her involvement in church, but she chose to break through. And I I just remember thinking, wow, what what an impact Jesus must have had on her life. And so I want you to imagine Zacchaeus is such a guy. 
The impact of what he does would be seriously felt throughout the entire community. For him to step into the world of Jesus means that he's going to be open to the ridicule, the thoughts, the, the harassment potentially of other believers. And so Zacchaeus takes a bold step in, 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 in coming to Jesus. And I want you to know, number one, that perhaps you and I, there are times where we limit ourselves. But let's continue. Point number two. So we not only see that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but the Bible also tells us that he has become wealthy um, from being a tax collector. Okay? Uh, so the word that we have, he's become wealthy and he's also a ruler. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a Greek lesson today. I do like Greek. I failed it several times, but um, that's why I love it now, because I, I had to learn it so many times. And in this, uh, in this word on the board, we have this word. It's axon. Uh, that's an A-R-X-O and an N. Axon. And axon is a word I remember learning on my flashcards many times. I'm going to give you two words today. First one's axon. And axon, at its core, means ruler. Okay. Now, in the story, we actually don't see this word appear. Verse 2 says, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. When you actually look at this word chief tax collector in the Greek, it's a compound word. And the first part of that word is axon. Zacchaeus is effectively the ruler of all the tax collectors. Similarly, in Luke 18, we're also introduced to a rich young ruler. There's this young man and he wants to encounter Jesus. And on his journey to encountering Jesus, he, you know, he, he, he wants to sort of, you know, he wants to make it. He wants to win at life. He's so successful. Let's actually read uh, the description of him. Uh, it's Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. I'll actually move this along so you can see Luke chapter 18 verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. No, no, that's not it. Um, let me move down a little bit further. The rich man, sorry, it's 18 verse 18. Typo there. So once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to in inherit eternal life? The New Living Translation doesn't quite uh, demonstrate who he is, but the Greek tells us that this guy is a ruler of sorts. We don't know how he's become a ruler. Did his family own a lot of uh, property? Were they good at business? Were they doing trade with the Romans? Whatever his situation is, it puts him ahead of most other people. And so like Zacchaeus, he is uh, responsible in charge, I dare say, to a large group of people. So there's this similarity once again that Luke wants to show you. Hey, we've got another similarity here. So Zacchaeus is a ruler of people, a leader of people, and we also have this, um, this young ruler, okay? So these two people, they're very, very similar. Now, one of the things we also see is that both of these men, Zacchaeus and this wealthy young ruler, have this other thing in common, which is that, exactly that, their wealth. They have been able to prosper, they've been able to, to make it in life, and it's very interesting because as you read through Luke's gospel, Luke doesn't have a lot of positive things to say about people with a lot of money. Now, I want, you, I want to be clear, guys. I am not going to say, I'm not preaching today that having money is a bad thing. But Luke wants to make it abundantly clear that often one's wealth is closely attached to their spiritual 
condition? How do you use your wealth? How do you give of your wealth? What do you do with it? And I've got a few references here if you want to check it out later on. Uh, But for instance, there are stories like Luke chapter 6 and verse 24. Luke 16 verse 25 where we're introduced to people with wealth. And more often than not, their wealth acts as a blocker for them getting further along in their relationship with Jesus. Something very interesting. So wealth in and of itself isn't bad, but often it's the thing that blocks us from getting as close to Jesus as we need to. Um, I listen to a lot of sermons, like I say, and um, I found this book by this Christian uh, accountant, and, and he, I heard a few sermons on him, and I'm not, I'm, I don't know if this is a true fact, but he says more than any other topic in the, in the New Testament, you actually see money appear. Jesus talks about it more than anything else, and I haven't dug into my Bible to see if that's true, but if it is true, that's very interesting, isn't it? The Bible has a lot to say about our attachment to wealth and our spiritual condition. And so both of these men find themselves in a position where their wealth could be the thing that is blocking them to accessing Jesus. Interestingly, in our story, we see that the rich young ruler, when confronted with his wealth, there's one thing I need you to do, son, Jesus says, I need you to give your, all of your possessions, all of your wealth, sell it, and use the money for good things. It's interesting, but the Bible says that the rich young ruler leaves with sadness in his heart. Sadness in his heart. And like, well, that makes sense, you know. I wouldn't want to give my wealth away. Interestingly, though, Zacchaeus, on the other hand, when confronted with this question, what are you going to do with your wealth? And I should actually move along because we need to, we should show the Greek word for wealth. Um, here it is, plusios. Can everybody say plusios? Plusios. This is the Greek word for rich. Um, so both of these men are rich. But what we see is when they're both confronted, they both respond in very different ways. Our rich young ruler, he struggles. Man, I thought I was doing it all right. I thought I was ticking all the boxes. But when he looks deep down inside, he realizes that God, in fact, isn't his God. It's actually his wealth. And when Zacchaeus is confronted with the decision, what are you going to do with your wealth? The Bible says with gladness, he he confronts Jesus. With gladness, he is happy to hand over everything he has. And so when confronted by Jesus, the rich young ruler leaves very sad. But on the other hand, when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, there's this byproduct of great joy. Friends, I want you to consider this morning... Where does materialism place in your life? We've seen that sometimes we can, we can block our own paths to Jesus because of our, our past and the things we've done as a sinner. Are we going to come? But also, have you seen in your own life your materialism as a block to accessing Jesus? Have you come to realize that maybe the idols of my life are not idols carved out of stone and wood, but maybe they're the, the kind of things that money can buy. Do you have an idol in your life that is blocking from you from accessing Jesus the way he really wants you to? Yeah, I mean, like you're living in Australia, we are, we are automatically in the, you know, what is it? That's some ridiculous statistic. We're in the top 10% of, of people in the world as far as uh, our income goes and what we're able to afford and what we're able to pursue. We live in a, in, a, in a world where everything's available at the click of a button. 
my brother-in-law, he lives in London, and he's telling me about London's just next level. And I think Melbourne's heading that way, but he was sick, and he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And his mother, Emma, my wife, she's just arrived. Um, she's arrived for a little while, but Emma's mum says, hey, Shane, I think you're going to need to take some honey and lemon and this, you know, natural concoction. And he's like, oh, I can't be bothered going to the shops. So he gets on Amazon and he just orders honey and two lemons. And in about an hour, he's got honey and lemon at his door. Yeah, we live in a, we live in a crazy world. He's like, oh, you know what? I, I couldn't be bothered going to the doctors. So I, uh, I FaceTimed my doctor. What? You know, he, he just gets on the internet and he finds this clinic and the doctor looks at him and can you do, ah, uh, so he's looking at his screen. He's like, ah, uh. you know, like we live in a crazy society. We are wealthy. We can afford crazy services, but do we prioritize all of those things, friends, at the expense of a relationship with Jesus? I want to be clear. I am not saying that money and wealth are bad things, but are they, are they placing a block in your life? So we see this in the life of this rich young ruler. We also see that perhaps when it comes to following Jesus, sometimes we're going to have to give up positions of authority that we have. We're going to, maybe when Jesus invites us to follow him, he's going to say, hey, Ryan, I know you are taking this path in life, but I don't want you to be the ruler anymore. I don't want you to be the top dog. I don't want you to be the chief anymore. I'm inviting you to step down, to give up, your honored position, wherever you find yourself. And so friends, what we see is when we're in being invited to follow Jesus, sometimes not only are we being asked to give up things materially, but sometimes we're being invited to give up a social line that we may find ourselves in. Sometimes we're being asked to give up things that, that are very dear, near and dear to our heart. My name is Ryan, as you know, and it means little king. And I like to be in charge of things. I find there's a little bit of truth in my name. And I often find God's challenging me in this aspect of my life. Ryan, let go. Let me be in charge. When Zacchaeus is being invited to give up his position as the chief tax collector, he is also giving up his, 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 his ability to, to roll it with the high rollers in, of Rome. He's giving up his ability to, to bring in a lot of money. There is a lot of challenges when it comes to following Jesus. And I've put in this, this area, you know, because I'm looking at things that block us from, from coming to Jesus. In this instance, it's really our own selves. We're in the first areas. Maybe it's other people. Maybe it's ourselves. You know, when we're feeling judged or we're feeling, you know, we are judging ourselves. In this instance, this is our own decision that is stopping us from accessing Jesus. So here are two qualities of Zacchaeus so far. We have one more. Let's have a look. Um, clicking away. So we have two things that, that we've seen that affect Zacchaeus. He is a tax collector, number one. And number two, he's rich and he's a ruler. So he's got, he's got these things working against him. But the other thing that the Bible tells us that's working against him is the crowd. How interesting is that? It's the crowd. Something Zacchaeus has no, no ability to influence or affect this is a group that stands external to him. And so sometimes when we're pursuing Jesus, friends, I want you to realize that maybe there will be people who block our way, unfortunately, as that is. So let's see how that's demonstrated through Luke chapter 18. 
So here I've got a list of events that happen in Luke 18. In Luke 18, you see Jesus is uh, doing his thing. He's ministering. And I'd love to see what Jesus was like. I'm a chaplain. I work with, with primary school kids and secondary kids. And, um, you know, every now and then we'll get a chaplain, uh, a visiting speaker to come. And you can really tell the people, I don't know, they, they, they just, they hit home runs with kids. They, they'll tell a story to a kid and, and at, they'll, they'll leave. And at lunchtime or recess, everybody's following them. Everybody loves them. And I don't know what it is. They have a secret touch. I don't know what it is. I call them baby whisperers. They just have this, they, they, they have this, they, this thing when and kids love them. And Jesus is that guy. The story goes in Luke 18, 15, that mothers love Jesus. They wish, they wish he was the guy they were married to. They wish he was the person that was fathering their kids. And, you know, in lieu of that fact, the next best thing is, um, Jesus, can you, can you pray a blessing on my child? I just want the best for my child. And now that I'm a parent, I'm starting to realize how much I want that. And I, I'll talk to my wife. I'm like, Emma, I want Harry to grow up loving Jesus. You know, and, and I just wish Jesus could come and lay his hand and give my son a hug and go, Ryan, everything's going to be okay. And you've got these group of mothers who are bringing their kids to Jesus because they see value in this man. They want their kids to be like him. And then you find that in this story, the disciples, the disciples are stepping in and going, hey, 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 hey. This man is important. His time is precious. He doesn't have time for your little children. They're annoying. They're snotty. They're loud. They wreck the children's story. Um, <laughs> they didn't wreck the children's story. My son almost did. Um, you know, he doesn't have time for you guys. And so in this story, the disciples act as a blocker to Jesus. They block people from accessing the person that they want to meet the most. Later on, Luke tells another story, and this is as Jesus is entering Jericho. He, he, there's this man in the city of Jericho that everybody knows about, and his name's mentioned as well, and that's Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind, and he hears there's a commotion, and the Bible tells us that the crowd as well acts as a blocker to him seeing Jesus. And he's heard some things about Jesus Bartimaeus. He's heard that he can, he can do some crazy miracles. He can change a life. He can, he can put you on a path that you never thought you were going to go on. And so as he hears a crowd drawing nearer, and he, he puts two and two together, Jesus must be nearby. And he goes, Jesus, please, can you help me? Jesus, he's over here. Jesus, can you help me? And the crowd just says, Bartimaeus, shut up. Shh, go away. Nobody wants to see you. And everybody is so interested in pursuing Jesus that they're not allowing some of the people who need to see him most access him. It's fascinating. The people who love Jesus, his disciples, the crowd, they themselves at times were acting as blockers to accessing Jesus. So then we get to the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, we're told uh, in verse 3 of chapter 19 that he is short. He tries to get a look at Jesus, but he can't see over the crowd. He has a problem. He's short in stature. Verse 7 also tells us, we're right on the edge there, but the people were displeased as, you know, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to come to your house. And they're like, oh, they start gossiping. Oh, 
He's going to be, he's going to eat at a notorious sinner's home. What is he doing? And I share this point. I'm a bit reluctant to share this sometimes, but, but friends, as we pursue Jesus, are there perhaps moments where we stop others from seeing Jesus? Are there moments where we just stop people from experiencing Christian fellowship? You know, um, I, I remember I was very literally, this is a silly story, but um, I went to a Christian concert. I'd never, ever been to one. I wasn't sure what to expect. And um, there was this American uh, gospel singer, Israel Horton, Houghton, I can't Horton. He was in uh, New South Wales, and I was studying at Avondale. And he was, um, he's good friends with this former Hillsong singer, Darlene Czech, Chest. I can't pronounce it. But she used to sing a lot of big songs back in the day. And she's been able to pull some strings and get him to come sing at her church. She started a church on the Central Coast. It's huge. And so some of my friends are like, yeah, let's go. We love his songs. You know, he sings, who am I that you are mindful of me? And songs, you know. I could sing a lot of his songs, but I'm not going to. Um, but he sings a lot of great songs. We're like, let's go. Let's hear him. It's going to be great. And we got there nice and early. And we got right to the front of the viewing area. It was like a standing room only type of concert. And um, it was very energetic. There was The music was nice. The singers were good. The, the band was tight. And I'm like, yes, this is great. And... Um, there was this last minute addition to our group and he's like, Hey guys, I'm going to be late. I'm going to, I'm going to come, but, um, can you, can you, can you sort of let me sort of niggle, squeeze into the front because the crowd was huge and we're like, sure. So he comes along and where does he find, I'm tall, as you can tell, I'm six foot two. And my friend, um, I won't share his name, but my friend, he manages the spot he finds. He's the only person in this whole area that is taller than me. And he literally comes and stands right here. And this is, this is, this is the stage. This is the, and he's here. And I'm just like, are you serious? <laughs> and so for like the next hour and a half, I'm like saying, who am I that you are mindful of me? And all I'm staring is at this blonde head. And I'm like, get up. I can't move because it's just too tight. And, and I always get frustrated when I remember that. But it reminds me of this story that there are moments where we can block each other from getting access to the thing we want the most. And in this case, it's Jesus. Friends, what are the things that we sometimes unknowingly do that prevent people from getting an access to Jesus? I used to be a pastor at an ethnic church in Daninong, Daninong Polish. As I said, I'm from a small island called the Seychelles. I'm not Polish, um, even though the Polish people would try and speak to me in Polish. I'm not sure why that is. Anyway, we had a young group of guys, young adults, you know, high energy and this and that. And we would often together uh, in Dandenong, there is a, there is a soccer court near the, near the train station. And we would often go play at this, this, this sort of soccer pitch right opposite the train station on a Sunday morning have a bit of fun, maybe go out for brunch. And then the rest of the day was ours to do whatever we wanted. And I, I, I did this for like months. It was really fun. Kept me fit. I haven't done it, so I'm not fit uh, anymore. But um, we would do this. And I remember telling a, a couple of my friends, I said, hey, hey, Ryan, what are you doing this weekend? These are my friends from my boy school that I grew up at. And they're like, oh, um, well, I've got church, as you guys know, on, on Saturday. So... 
that's out. Maybe Saturday night. No, I, we've got some plans. What are you doing Sunday morning? And I'm like, um, I'm, I've, I've got some commitments. I'm playing soccer with some friends. It's just like uh, some pickup stuff. It's nothing serious. We just shoot goals until we're tired or it's too hot. And, and my friend said, hey, why have you been flaking out on me, man? I'd love to come. And I'm like, really? With my Christian friends? What's wrong with them? Are they weird? Are they going to convert me? No. What, 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 can I come? I'm like, I guess. And it never occurred to me that I had a perfect opportunity to invite my friends into a Christian community, a soft space, not that nobody was going to Bible bash them. Nobody was going to tell them not to eat pork or to drink or anything like that. We're just going to play some soccer in a fun, safe environment. But I had so compartmentalized my life that it never occurred to me that maybe I'm blocking Jesus because of my compartmentalization of my life. Can you see what I'm getting at? There are ways, friends, in which we stop other people from getting a view of Jesus. And who knows what impact that could have had on, my, on the lives of my friends. And I've, I've, I've always regretted it since then. So I want you to see Luke is trying to tell us that, you know, we ourselves can be the, 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 the thing that is blocking us from getting to Jesus. But at the same time, we can also block other people. And so the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Luke is building this story. Like I said, he is the last person in this gospel that is mentioned by name. And I think Luke is trying to say that Zacchaeus, friends, is the ultimate example of exclusion. He is the, he's, he's, he's this person who has no reason to, to want to be in church. Nobody was probably going to want to invite him to church. And yet Jesus makes a point of finding him and spending time with him. And friends, if there is hope for a Zacchaeus, there's hope for you and me. If, there's, if, there's, if you thought that you don't belong at church, if you don't belong in the community of believers, well, Zacchaeus is someone Luke wants you to know about. If you have been someone who feels like that person, you know, I don't know if I, I should bring this person, I should invite this person. Luke wants you to know Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is every, every reason why Jesus came to, to die on earth. And as such, Jesus wants to make a point with the worst sinner that everybody knows about. I'm going to go to his house because this is exactly the guy I came to die for. Friend, Zacchaeus is not somebody we put in the kid's box. Zacchaeus is an everyday hero for all of us, for you and for me. He is a constant reminder of what it means to be a person on a journey who is serious about following Jesus. So friends, we are all responsible for our own journeys. And we're also responsible for the journeys of other people. The question is, what are you going to do? I hope you can see through the life of Zacchaeus that there is no sin, there is no problem that is too great. Zacchaeus is an evildoer. He commits adultery. He robs from people. He doesn't fast. He doesn't give his money to the church. He's a tax collector and there is hope for him. Let's not exclude people like Zacchaeus. Let's not exclude ourselves. Let's be like Zacchaeus. I love that the story says when Jesus calls him out, there is great joy. And when you guys have had those moments in your life, I dare say we all had. And I don't know what it may be, but we've had a moment where you just felt so full of joy, so happy. For me, it was when, when Emma had Harry and, I, you know, we got married. I thought, no, nothing's going to beat this. But, man, you have your child and you're like, 
wow, this is cool. And this kid loves it. And I get home now every day, Harry, I don't know this, but I drive a golf and we have a long driveway with many townhouses. He knows the sound of my engine. <laughs> so I'll drive to the very end of our driveway because we're at the back and he'll just pop out and see me at the curtains and he'll wave and we got to play trains, chugga chugga, that's what he calls it. You can see his train on the table there. And I've, I've never had such a great sense of joy being a dad. It makes you tired, let's just be honest. But I can only imagine what the, when the Bible says Zacchaeus had great joy, what it must have felt for him to be acknowledged, to be accepted, to be welcomed. And friends, I want you to know in this church, you can encounter all of these things. Maybe you know somebody who, who doesn't want to participate in church because they feel like they can't. But please know that Jesus wants you. Jesus makes a point of going out to be the guest of sinners. He doesn't care who you are. He loves you just the way you are. This is where I get into all the cliched stuff, but it's important. We need to know this because it's so important. Here's a little catchphrase I want. I try to, try to put up something piffy so you can remember this. But in a world full of exclusion, Jesus offers a way of inclusion. I want you to remember, that's the take-home for today. In a world of exclusion, you might be excluding yourself. You may feel others are excluding you. Please know that Jesus offers a way of inclusion. And we see that Zacchaeus is serious about this. You know, not only he doesn't just say that he's going to change, but he actually says that he's going to do some things that are going to lead to change. I had to land the plane. He says, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. He's not just saying it. He's serious about walking the walk. He's serious about living this out. I got a quote to, let, to finish with, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up with a prayer. This is from a book called Christ, Our Righteousness. And it says, no repentance. So the act of just coming to God, saying, I'm sorry, no repentance is genuine that does not work reformation. If it doesn't result in some change in our lives, if we're not doing something differently, then, then this is, it's not for real. The righteousness of Christ is not a cloak to cover unconfessed and unforsaken sin. It is a principle of life that transforms. When you encounter Jesus, is it changing your lives? Do you find that you are walking a new path? Do you find that you're changing the old man from the inside out with the help of God? See, it's a principle of life that transforms the character and controls the conduct. Holiness is wholeness for God, an entire surrender of heart um, and life to the indwelling of the principles of heaven. Zacchaeus was a person who encountered God. He chose to break through the barriers from his own mind, from other people, and he journeyed to Jesus. And friends, this is a sermon, it's just a reminder to keep on going. There is no sin that you have done that, 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 that is too big for God. There is nothing that he cannot handle. There is nothing, I hope you know this, nothing that you have done that this church will exclude you for. Okay? I know Roy and Jinha personally, they love the city of Melbourne and its people. And I'm so glad that you find yourselves at a home in this place. And I just, yeah, I'm going to invite Roy to, to, to sing an item and we're going to close with a word of prayer. But as he shares this song, I just want you to think there is nothing that you can do. Luke wants you to, there is nothing you have done that can stop you from accessing Jesus.